The following podcast is brought to you by Crosswinds Golf and Country Club in Burlington. For my money, Crosswinds is the best golf value in all of Ontario when it comes to public courses. Million-dollar views of the Niagara Escarpment featuring Rattlesnake Point and Mount Nemo, tremendous customer service, and of course, 18 holes of championship golf on a course that's so beautifully maintained you could eat off the fairways, tees, and greens. Or you could grab a bite and bevy out on the patio, your choice. I'll be at Crosswinds Sunday hoping to play the entire round without losing a ball. That would be an accomplishment. (laughs) Wish me luck. Or better yet, try Crosswinds yourself. Go to crosswindsgolf.com, book your tee time online, go have a great time. And don't forget to tell them that Hebsey sent you. Now, Mike, let's start the podcast. Live from Toronto. It's Hebsey on Sports, episode number 247. My lucky number. <laughs> Hi there, sports fans. Mark Hebsher here, coming to you from our studios in Little Italy. It's really just my living room with some baffling and lighting, but it's the Little Italy studios and the mothership still running in New Toronto, uh, manned by Toronto Mike. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> I never speak during your intro. I'm always very careful. Don't stomp on the intro, but I felt like you paused for me to say hello. I did. <laughs> so I wanted to say hello. 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 And uh, hello to Charlie Montoyo. He still has a job as the manager of the Blue Jays. I can't blame everything on this guy, but he's not the manager for this team. Not if they're going to be a championship team. Not this year. Not going to happen. So we'll talk about his managerial deficiencies, the lack of production from Vladdy Guerrero Jr., the ridiculously bad media coverage of the Blue Jays with nobody in the ballpark to describe the action, as well as the rest of the baseball story. The Yankees have won 12 in a row, those mother huppers. Andre DeGrasse, tennis, golf, women's hockey, the Argos, soccer, and much more. First, let's officially... Say hello to Toronto Mike and his freshly groomed nether regions. Feeling good, Hebsy. My balls are grateful. I use, uh, again, the Lawnmower 4.0 because I use the he- uh, Hebsy promo code at manscaped.com. Save me some money, 20%. It also gave me free shipping. And I urge everyone who's a fan of this program to use the promo code Hebsy when they check out at manscaped.com because. That's essentially uh, what's helping uh, Hebsey keep this going every single damn week. And we're grateful that you're using the promo code. Thank you. That's Mike, my agent. <laughs> right there. That's the, the old, the, in the old style uh, radio days, TV days, there was the host. And then there was the, the, the I don't know, they would call it a sidekick. If Ed it McMahon. Was, uh, you know, an Ed McMahon. But not really. The other, the other performer was usually the, the announcer. You know, the, the one that would, you know, introduce oh, the host. Like and Don do the Pardo? commercial reads live and be the, um, you know, the, 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 what do you call it? Sounding board, let's say. Right. The other person there to right. refer to. But did not play a large role. Right. But in your case, the position has evolved. Well. Being the guy, you know, sort of the Geets Romo, just, to, you know, the guy with the buttons and, you know, knowing all the technical stuff and maybe, uh, you know, occasionally chiming in with a little something, but not too often. 
And a little something off the top, because these good people said hello to us on your YouTube channel where we are live, because YouTube is not down. Uh, Dr. Hockey, I want to say hi to Paul Hockeyard. Angela is here, says good morning, gentlemen. Jean Valaitis joins us from beautiful BC. I want to say hi to Gord, Mike Kerr, Steve Green, Daniel Finkler, Phil Parkinson, Brian Gerstein, KM, a whole bunch of great uh, Hebzion Sports fanatics are watching live at uh, your, uh, your YouTube channel. Nice. And how many of them are going to be at your big event tonight? Good question. Uh, Let me just, since I have this microphone and I have the mute button that you can't touch, I'm going to just tell everybody. (laughs) That's the nice thing is from New Toronto, you can't mute from uh, Little Italy. You can only mute from New Toronto. I like that a lot. You've got me by the balls. (laughs) The freshly groomed ones. Well, yeah, they're smooth as hell, Hebsy. I love it. Okay, tonight. That's tonight. This is uh, the 27th of August, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on the patio of Great Lakes Brewery. That's 30 Queen Elizabeth Boulevard down the street from the Costco in beautiful southern Etobicoke. We have TMLX8. Hebsey's going to be there. If you want to see Hebsey, he's going to be there. We're recording the finale of Pandemic Friday. Me, Stu Stone, and Cam Gordon. There's a fourth mic that Hebsey's going to jump on to say hi. And uh, free food from Palma Pasta and a free beer from Great Lakes. Come on out tonight, 6 p.m. Yeah, the only reason I'm going is the free beer and the pasta from Palma Pasta and Great Lakes Brewery. Best deal but, no, I'll, I'll sit in with you guys. All right, there you go. So that's Toronto Mike's show, and, um, you know, I'm we're dovetailing off that. We're piggybacking, you know. we're. Um, it's nice to sit on someone else's shoulders once in a while. Let him <laughs> and, carry the heavy load. <laughs> and I'm, we're trying to get Stu Stone and his production company to make – I want them to make some kind of a, a – a sports line documentary like the glory days with Mark Hebsher and Jim Taddy. So I'm working on that angle as well. Interesting. Okay. We'll talk business tonight too. And <laughs> don't people know that I've, I'm doing the podcast now. Everybody, I, I'm sure everyone I know that they can message me unless they're messaging me saying, did you know the Twitter's down? <laughs> That's right. They're, don't they're... give a shit right now. Let's get to this. <laughs> okay. Okay. The good stuff. All right. When the Blue Jays went all in on free agent pitcher Hyun Jin Ryu last year, followers of the team went, hmm, looks like they're serious about winning. Of course, the Jays did make the postseason. Remember last season, 60 games, out and two, that was it, Matt Shoemaker, remember that? Of course, yeah, Robbie Seems Ray. like eons ago. <laughs> so it was a short-lived celebration of this team, and fans were wondering if the Jays were really going to be serious and pursue another big-name free agent for 2021. And they did. George Springer was that signing. And the Jays appeared to be on their way, after signing him to a $150 deal over uh, six years, on their way to yet another playoff appearance. How could they not? They got Ryu and they got Springer. And they picked up this Simeon guy for a season, see how things go. Maybe he could bounce back. And they had this guy, Robbie Ray, who couldn't find the plate last year. And they had a couple of other pretty good players. Really good players, but young. So how's everybody doing this year? How are we doing? How are the big two doing? Those big free agent signings to add to the core we had on this team. How are they doing? Not so good. Springer's been great when he's in the lineup, but he's too brittle especially for a guy who's about to turn 32. Not a spring chicken anymore roaming center field. Ryu? I'm sorry, he's been outpitched by Robbie Ray and and even the rookie Alec Manoa. And for the second time in a couple of weeks, Ryu was shelled, hammered, throttled. I like that one. Last night by the White Sox, he gave up three home runs and seven earned in just three and two-thirds as the Jays were thumped 
10-7 at the Dome. 10-7. Toronto five and a half games out of a playoff spot now. But listen, folks, forget the five and a half. You got to jump Seattle first. You have to. And then you got to jump Oakland. And then you got to jump the Red Sox. Eek. Just to get into a one-game playoff. There's 36 games to go. So let's be realistic. It's not going to happen. But make it exciting. Put your best lineup out there every day. And maybe you too can win 12 games in a row like the Yankees are doing right fucking now. Hmm. Think of the guys they acquired. They got some good players too. We got Jose Barrios who hasn't done much. Right? Who did they get? Think about it. They got Anthony Rizzo. <laughs> okay, left. They got left-handed hitting power up the yin-yang, added already to a strong team that had all kinds of injuries. 12 wins in a row. 12 in a row. Got it? This is what we were thinking back a couple of months ago. Remember when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was leading the league in home runs and was neck and neck with Shohei Otani for MVP in the conversation, was going to win the triple crown, maybe. Right. And some of us said, well, hang on a second, man. If he hits 300 and drives in 100-plus runs and hits 40 homers, we'll be thrilled. But, but then we all got greedy. No, he's on pace to hit 50. He's on pace to th- The dude was not going to hit 330 or 340. He's not Michael Brantley. He's not Raphael Devers, who, by the way, is his buddy and is, I think he's only about a year older than, than Vladdy. He's a hell of a player, too. But nonetheless... Flatty really was carrying the team when Springer was hurt on his back defensively too. Well, folks, that's a distant memory now. Since June 19th, according to my good friend Scott Carson, the Jays' official statistician, I guess, with Sportsnet, yep. the man. Yep. Since June 19th, Flatty, and that's when Vladdy was leading the league in all those categories. Since then, Vladdy is tied for 11th in home runs. He's got 14. 21st in the league in RBI with 34 and 21st in batting average at 280. So now if I told you that post-All-Star, he would be 11th, 21st, and 21st in the league, you'd go, well, that's not bad for a kid. First full major league, that's not bad at all. You're telling me he's slumping because he's only hitting 280 since June 19th? That's nothing wrong with 280. So Vladdy is at this moment hitting 310 with 36 homers and 90 RBI, and there's lots of baseball left to be played. Way to go. But he's hamstrung with a bad manager who keeps shuffling his lineup. You're going to bat two, you're going to bat three, you're going to bat four, where are you going to bat? You're going to go to the right field. The man can still hit, and he's out there pretty much every day playing first base. And when he's not, he's DHing so that Lourdes can play first base or whoever else they try at first base. Do you know that I think the Jays lead the league in, I think Montoyo has played more players starting at an unfamiliar position at the major league level more than any other manager. He did it twice this week. Josh Palacios had never played center field in the major leagues. This is a team chasing the playoffs. Okay, Josh, you get to play center field. Last night, Kevin Smith had never played the outfield in the major leagues, had barely played it in the minor leagues. You may as well throw him in there as catcher. I mean, you don't do these things when you're chasing down the Yankees and Oakland and Seattle and the Red Sox. You don't do it. These guys are nailed to them. You think Tony LaRusso is going to play guys like this? He's not. He's not resting guys. Okay, Charlie, what are you resting them for, Charlie? Now, you play them now, 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 now. That's why Springer wants to get back into the lineup so badly. Okay? Reminds me of the, from Monty Python. Oh, it's just a flesh wound. What are you talking about? You came, 
You should have been out forever. Charlie was worried you wouldn't come back this season. Now you're running the bases. And by the way, here's your hourly George Springer update. Came, got out of bed this morning, felt no pain. Okay, that's the update. I'm sure you'll have more later when you hear the game. So, I don't know, man. Josh Palacios, Kevin Smith, I'm sure nice, young, fabulous players. Bring them up. What are they going to bring up? Nate Pearson next? You're chasing a playoff spot. You play your best players. You play Corey Dickerson, Randall Grichuk, or Tiasca Hernandez to play center field. Not Palacios. Any of those guys can play center and have played center field at the major league level. Kevin Smith in left field. What, Lourdes is that bad a left fielder? Dickerson is that bad a left fielder? What, you're married to this righty on lefty, lefty on righty bullshit? Come on, Charlie. You're talking Dickerson's a professional hitter. He's had hundreds and hundreds of hits against left-handed pitching. Are you going to play a raw rookie that's never played the outfield before? All, and all I saw of Kevin Smith, I don't even know if he actually made a play out there. He just kept looking up at home runs that Ryu was giving up for crying out loud. <laughs> so I need to go back to the game on Tuesday night. Um, here's what happened. So Palacios gets the start in center field. Eh, we're going, huh? what? Why? Strikes out in his first at bat. Strikes out in his second at bat. Strikes out in his third at bat. Now the Jays are down five to two in the ninth inning, and he comes up with the bases loaded and one out. And I go, well, of course Charlie is going to pinch hit. He's the tying run. They're going to fight their way back here after Barrios stuck the joint out and got yanked in the fourth inning or whatever it was. And now you're going to have a raw rookie who's already struck out three times, can't lay the bat on the ball, couldn't hit the ball out of the infield with a telephone pole. And you're going to have him step up to the plate because you're a good developer of young talent. And you need to show fans that this youngster Palacios is going to be a good one, even though I think he's 26 years old. And you're going to leave him in there despite his uh, deficiencies at the plate tonight. He's totally overmatched. You're not going to play Grichuk or you're not going to put in Dickerson. You could pinch hit either one of them. No, you're going to let him back. And, of course, he strikes out for the fourth time and takes the golden sombrero. But earlier that inning, Charlie, you decided that after Alejandro Kirk had singled and represented the third run for the Jays, and even though they're down 5-2, to two, he would have represented the 5-3 run. You're going to pinch run for him with runners first and third with Kevin Smith. So you're going to waste two spots there. Kirk's going to be out of the game, and Smith will be out of the game after he pinch runs. But, but you're the manager, even though Kirk's run meant nothing, a complete waste. And I don't know, I didn't catch the entire Zoom call with Charlie, but I didn't see or hear any reporter ask that specific question. Charlie, why did you pinch run for Kirk when his run meant nothing? And why would you leave Palacios in there after he struck out three times when he's the tying run and you could have used any professional hitter? Steve Green on your YouTube channel is wondering if you think that Montoyo is making these decisions or do you think it's decision by committee or some, 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 no, no, he's making the decisions. I don't buy this, that they're calling down with a little buzzer that it's Ross Atkins or Shapiro going, don't put in so-and-so. No, that's the manager's job. Now, after the game, they might have a word with him. I don't know, but I don't think he's the puppet that some people think he is. He makes the calls. Now, does he do it when he's, while he's conferring with Pete Walker and the rest of the coaching staff? Maybe. Maybe it's by committee. Schneids, what do you think? Walker, what do you think? All right. And I think a lot of managers do that, even though the manager has the final say and he is the manager. The buck stops here. Right. They, the smart managers consult with their bench coach or their sure. pitching coach. 
Sure. You know, it's a team effort. Yeah. But Montoyo's team, I don't know, maybe they're telling him something and he's going, no, 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 no. I could do it in my, my Montoyo lilt. No, no, no. <laughs> but I thought he'd been hitting the ball good. He'd been good. He hasn't been good. Struck out three times. What the hell? What kind of a manager does that? And I'm sure that LaRusso was going, what the fuck is he doing? Hey, Hebsey. What, what, what manager puts in a rookie that struck out three times already and leaves him in in the ninth inning? He's the tying run in a game that you've got to win. You've got to win. You pull out all the stops. You don't let this guy hit ever. <laughs> Never. Hey, there's a comment from Brian that's got me wondering. If, can you recall questioning a manager's decisions this much? Uh, like, who's the last manager you questioned this much? Well, I think we always, you know, question the managers. I'm sure we did it with John Gibbons. But not to the point, I don't think Gibbons ever did this before. I don't think he ever left in someone who was failing, a raw rookie, when he had two veterans on the bench who could pinch hit as the tying run. I honestly don't believe, I mean, John Gibbons knew his, baseball but you know and as an in-game manager sure there were lots of times why did he do this why did he do that yeah I mean, the team's losing but in this case no and and the pinch running for kirk i never heard anyone ask had i been available for the zoom call or had accreditation i would have asked flat out can you explain the reasoning in what i would have liked to have heard him say well the reason i pinch ran kirk was kevin smith's a better base runner and he'd be able to break up the double play which not doesn't work that way anymore because you can't really break up a double play. So having a speedier runner at second, and remember, he's not the tying run. He's not the go-ahead run. His run means nothing. And what if you, what if you tie the game? Now you go extra innings and you go, okay, Kirk. Oh no, sorry. You've already pinch run for him. He's out. Smith. I need you. No, sorry. Used him already. Dumbass. So the Jays had a 46.9% chance of making the postseason on the 10th of August. Since then, they've gone 6 and 10, and they now have an 8.7% chance, according to fan graphs. Thought I'd throw that in there. Eek. You know, you know, it's like you're at the poker table. What are my chances? What are my chances of drawing this card? Yeah. I what don't... are my chances realistically of achieving that? What are, what, are, what are my odds? And most people, I would think just about everyone, they look at risk-reward in life. Sure. It's just a, a natural thing. So if I was a betting man, I would not bet on the Blue Jays to make the postseason at 8.7%. Because that is betting on a long shot. And generally speaking, people who bet on long shots are suckers. If you would ask me, uh, before I read that 8.7% that you got from Fangraphs, if you had said, what do you think the chances are? I would have said 10%. So I think that's about right. It feels like a 10% chance at this point. Too many people have to fail. And at the same time, the Jays just have to run off 12 in a row. This is why I don't play the lottery, Mike. I played the lottery. Here's the story. I played it once in my life. Okay. Once. The very first ever Winterio draw was in 19, I'm going to say 1975. Okay. I was working at a convenience store at the time. And oh, the, a lottery? What does that mean? Oh, you can win. I think it was, I think it was $100,000 back in those days was the top prize for Winterio. It could have been 50000 I don't know. And the tickets were a buck. So I spent a dollar mm-hmm. and I bought a ticket. And the, the ticket number was 77997. Anyway, they have the draw. It didn't win. Right. The next week, the draw, the winning ticket number was 77997. Wow. I went, holy shit, I had that number wrong week. And I figured, 
That's about as close as I'm ever going to come. And I've never bought a lottery ticket. I have not because yeah. I think it's just a sucker bet. But I'm I can with see with yeah. the commercials, your dream coach and the whole deal. It's beautiful. It's based on dreams. Right. Unfortunately, when I used to do uh, man on the street interviews, uh -huh. whenever the lottery, the big lottery was, you know, a huge number, you know, 40, whatever the number was. And you'd see these huge lineups of people who not, wouldn't normally buy lottery tickets, but they're lined up for the 40 million or the whatever draw. Mm -hmm. And I remember interviewing them and, People would say, I say, okay, what are you going to do? This is half the fun. Hi, what if you won the lottery? What would you do with the money? I mean, it's a beautiful question. Right. And this one lady, she says to me, oh, I put it in the bank. And I say, well, what fun is that? She goes, well, I would be able to sleep better at night. I'm going, so your dream is to be able to sleep well at night. And she said, yeah, and I would sleep well at night if I had all that money in the bank. I went, oh, okay. People have different, I mean, it's right. not buying a yacht and buying a car and woohoo, traveling the world. And for some people, it's something as simple as being able to sleep well at night, knowing that you've got cash in the bank. Okay. Well, like Forrest Gump said, right? One less thing to worry about. Yeah. <laughs> True that. Okay. So Fangraph's 8.7% chance for the Jays. And uh, if you saw what happened this week, Ryu and then the other guy that they got, Jose Barrios, it was very exciting when we first got him, but his last few starts have not been very good at all. Both pulled early, putting more pressure on the Jays. And we have to step back and say, this is a good team. They're in a tough division, but they're just not good enough. And all you have to do is look across the diamond at the White Sox and to see what they have. They have great young talent as well. They have a great leadoff guy, a former batting champion, Tim Anderson, but their, but their pitching is exceptional. You're talking about four top line starters and the deepest bullpen, one of the deepest in baseball with two legit closers, Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks monsters right we don't have that so tonight we go to motown we get the tigers maybe we can sweep them because we have to uh steven matts against matt manning in the pitching matchup gene valitis points out that scruff connors won a hundred thousand dollars in the lottery once he did jeff newfeld right oliver Scholem. shout out to tj broadcast have gotten what's that i said shout out to tj connors working in winnipeg his boy tj's working in winnipeg he's a good boy uh, Jay's broadcasts have gotten, if you can believe it, worse. Unbearable to the point where now you can just tune in, Ben. You can get Ben Wagner's audio. And by the way, mm -hmm. shout out to Ben. Ben is doing an unbelievable job by himself. Okay? By himself. He is talking to the audience as if they're, they're with him in the booth. I've been listening to a lot of his broadcasts lately. Uh, took a trip the other day. We were up to Perry Sound, played a little golf. It was lovely, great driving. I'm listening to the game on the way back. What a, that's a tough job. By yourself, no one at your side, except for, I think, Tom Young, the engineer, sitting next to him in the studio, right? And, and he's, I mean, when he's at the game, when the game is from Rogers Center, it's fantastic. It's tougher, even tougher when you're on the road because he doesn't go on the road. You have to watch it off a monitor. But great job. And in comparison, you can now link up, you can sync up the audio, hey, Mike, with the TV uh, broadcast. You can kill the audio on the television and you can tune in the audio and, and sync it up. There's a way to do it where you're listening um, in real time to Ben's broadcast in sync with the video from Sportsnet. Have you been doing that? Yeah, it's great. It really is. Because, because Buck and Pat are not at the game they're hundreds of miles away. We've gone through this a million times and, and they're a step behind the play. And there've been a couple occasions where Buck and or Pat, I think Buck's dropped out. The signal dropped out a few times, which is very annoying. 
And the other thing is, is that yesterday there was at least two occasions where the ball was hit. And as it's hit, you're watching going, well, that looks like it's pretty well hit. But Buck's play-by-play is fly ball, left field. And then you're watching the left fielder looking up. He's not going for the ball. He's looking up, but Buck is still going at high fly ball. Oh, a home run. Now, on the one that was a line drive, it's different because as soon as we left the bat, you could just tell, you know. Uh, and he didn't even have time to fly ball. He's ball, get up ball, get up ball. Right. But he's sitting at home in Florida. Now, and Dan, Dan Schulman is yeah. like six blocks away. But of course, Dan has been doing ESPN games this week. He did one game till four o'clock in the morning from his home in Toronto with uh, Eddie Perez, who's in his home, I think in Miami, I'm not sure. And they're both on mon- watching the game on monitors. And it's the Dodgers San Diego going 16 innings. Okay. 16 freaking innings. Hmm. <laughs> and they're up till four o'clock in the morning, Eastern time calling this game. So Dan was not available anyway. And he's not going to be back on the air till Monday even though he's in Toronto and Ben right. Wagner's in Toronto and they're allowed to go and broadcast from there. We've got these two guys in the States, one that won't come up because he won't get vaccinated. And one that's been up here already once for the opening series. And then, okay, go back to Ohio, man. You're you have blue Jay fans that are so loyal. They love this team so much and they're just getting the shaft. They're getting pissed all over. And I don't understand why you wouldn't want to provide the best possible coverage for this team. And you're not doing it. Uh, Two quick things. One is that I once attended, I didn't call the game like Dan Shulman, but I attended an 18-inning game once. That's my personal record at the the Dome. And secondly, I I guess you touched on it right there, but I guess you need to concede that there's a good chunk of this fan base that doesn't seem to care that Buck's not at the game. Well, they're putting they're putting up with it because they know how to watch baseball. You don't need to have Buck to help you. You're just like, I don't know what to do. Right. I can't right. see what's going on. Right. And in fact, like I said, you could turn the sound down and probably get a better idea of what's going on just by watching it yourself. Not you don't need the description. And what would you which th- is why television play by play evolves completely differently. The radio play by play was descriptive because no one could see the game. The television guy was just, you know, originally it was like, just let them, you know, they were radio guys who had, there was no such thing as television. So they just moved them over. But the TV guys, now the good ones don't have to fill in time by talking all the time. They can let the pictures tell the story. This is where a good director, a good producer say, you know what? We'll just have a series of shots. There's the batter. There's the pitcher. There's the manager. There's the fans back to the batter, back to the pitcher. But while this is going on, we don't need you, the announcer to go, and, hey, Pat, what about the time that, you know, he was three for 26 with a bunch of stats? Generally speaking, when I hear stats, I'd like to see visually the, the stat pack as well. But I don't need the announcer to say everything that's on the screen. I can see it. I can see that he was 13-2 and two with a 3.76 ERA, and the opponent's batting average was 222. In game. I can read the entire hero note. I can see it. I don't need you telling me. And this way, it's just too formulaic on TV. They'll tape an interview with uh, Buck and Pat, where Buck will be introduced. He says, you know, thank you, Jamie. And then he does his four minutes with Pat or three minutes, and they, they've, that's been done in, in advance. Um, the other networks don't even mention where the announcers are. Like, I was watching the Red Sox game. They did not mention the fact that uh, the, I can't think of the announcer's name, and Ellis Burks weren't at the ballpark. They never showed them on camera. 
And they never even put up graphics saying, you know, here's the announcers and where they are. Whereas Rogers insists on showing that Buck is in Florida and Pat is in Ohio. Man, you don't have to do that anymore. You're just rubbing it in that they're not there. After a while, people, you're right. People are going to go, oh, you know, Buck's calling the game. Pat's sure. calling the game. They seem to but, be calling the game fine. But if you continue to tell people that they're in Florida and Ohio, other networks aren't doing that. Hey, yep. they go, let's join, what's his name? Joe Castiglione and, and Ellis Burks. Here they are. And you hear their voices only. You don't see, you don't see them. Hebsey, man, if if they did not disclose that Bucks in Florida or whatever, uh, we'd probably be here complaining that they're trying to throw the wool over our not eyes and, and trick us. I feel on. like they're damned if it's they do, they're season, damned man. if they don't. And yeah. I do, you know, Paul Hockeyard, for example, on your YouTube channel, uh, he gives Buck a free pass because he's fondly remember remembering him tagging out uh, Gorman Thomas at the plate with a broken leg. So uh, you know, Gorman Thomas led him. Do you know you know that story? No, what do you mean? Gorman Thomas and Buck Martinez were best friends, roommates in Milwaukee before Buck ever came to the Jays, ever. And Gorman Thomas could have easily slid in or jumped over or whatever Buck Martinez with his broken leg or broken ankle on that play. Right. But he didn't. If you watch the play, he doesn't slide. He doesn't even really try. He kind of gingerly goes towards the plate and kind of allows Buck to tag him while he's lying down. I never heard this. He never he never tried to kick the ball out of his glove. He never made a slide, right? Which is what you do if you're trying to score. So the he, he knew it was his buddy and he sort of... He knew, he knew Buck was in pain. Now, even if they weren't buddies, I just think that, man, I, I don't think, except for Pete Rose, who couldn't <laughs> give a shit about some other player. Sure, even in... I don't think second. another player would with an injured player down like that. And I don't, if I'm not mistaken, the run wasn't that important. It wasn't the game-winning run, for example. But 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 the way I understand it was Gorman Thomas, you know, t- took pity on his former buddy wow. and, and allowed himself to be tagged out on that play. I hadn't heard that, Hebsey. I had never yeah. heard that, and that plays yeah. like etched in my mind as well. Like just that yeah. moment he throws the third. and tremendously courageous by Buck. To, I'm not taking anything away from Buck at all, right? But had Gorman Thomas tried to score on that play, he I, I, he would have been successful had he tried, really tried to score, and evade Buck's tag. And speaking of our smooth balls, uh, Paul just says, yes, he agrees with you, but you, it still took balls to, to stay in there. Oh, for sure. <laughs> but I thought I would give you the full story. No, I love it. I never heard that before. I did not know they had a relationship like that. Yes, they did. Fascinating. And Gorman Thomas, one of, one of, super, one of the nicest, coolest guys, one of the best interviews, <laughs> always approachable. That whole Milwaukee team was yeah. great. They Harvey's wall bangers, Robin Yount, Molitor was great. Um, Cecil Cooper, yeah. Sal Bando, man, they, they were awesome. The pitching guys were great. Raleigh Fingers, um, George Bamberger, and Harvey Keene. Keene was the manager, and then, you know, and then Harvey Keene, Harvey's Wallbangers, and then George Bamberger took over that team. Mm. They were great. I love that team. Love the Brewers teams of the late 70s, early 80s. There you go. We miss them in the AL East. Yeah. All right, we're talking about play-by-play. I told you, I think I mentioned, I found an old cassette, a bunch of old cassette tapes from when I was the voice of the Argos, when I was the voice of the Leafs with Joe Bowen. He was the voice of the Leafs. I was the color commentator. Stuff like that. So the Argos were supposed to play in Edmonton last night. The game was postponed because of a COVID outbreak on the Elks. Mm -hmm. And I think the CFL dropped the ball here, as they've done for many, many years, the league. This has never shown strong ownership. Um, The Argos should have won the game by forfeit. Uh, the the Elks uh, should have been fully responsible for their team, and and instead they allowed protocol to be broken, and they should suffer by having to forfeit that game. 
unless there's a suitable replacement date can be found like in the NFL, that's what they're going to do this year. Right? If they, we can't, there's not a suitable date, you forfeit that game. You lose. Your guys had COVID? Game postponed? Game, you know, forfeit the game. Not po- postponed. It's a win for the other team. All right. So I did uh, play-by-play of the Toronto Argonauts, 1995, 1996. So prior to that, I was working at Global, um, doing very well. I'd been there for almost 12 years and was just, I don't know, was tired of it. Um, The baseball season had just been canceled. It was, I don't know. I remember us struggling for stuff to do that whole summer of 94. And I think I became just sort of very disillusioned with just sort of everything that was going on here. I'm staying up late to, to tell you about stuff. There's nothing going on. There's no baseball canceled the season, shit like that. So by early 95, I was ready to go. And I'd gotten an offer from Q107 and 640 radio owned not by chorus at the time. Uh, Westcom, I think. Was it Wick. Wick. Yeah. Right. Wick. Right. Anyway, Knew a lot of people there. Program director Danny Kingsbury approached me, you know, we'd love to have you. We're getting the rights to the Argonauts. Love for you to come aboard to morning sports with Jesse Jean and brother Jake Edwards in the Q Zoo because there was AM and FM. Right. Uh, and do the Leaf games and do the Argo games. And I had always wanted to do play-by-play and I want and I had the Leaf play-by-play gig and the Argo play-by-play gig. So I said, okay. So by early 1995, I guess by May or so, I left Global, took on the job. My first gig was Argos. Leafs wouldn't start till that fall. A couple of weeks goes by, I get a phone call. We can't give you the Leafs job. You can't do play-by-play. You can do color. Joe Bowen's the play-by-play guy. The Leafs insist. My like, gosh, oh, shit. It's one of the reasons I left. I wanted to do Leaf play-by-play. Anyway, long story short, Joe stayed. I completely understand. He had been there for many years, had friends with the Leafs. This Hebshire is not going to become an interloper. He'll do color. So it used to be Gord Stellick that did color with Joe, but they switched radio stations, went from the fan, 640 ended up with the rights. It was actually on Q107 the first year. Right. And I did Leaf color with Joe Bowen. Now I did one game play by play when Joe had a bad back and I'll play that at some other time. My only NHL call. Wow. Leafs, Habs, Maple Leaf Gardens. But this was the Argonauts against the Alouettes, the Eastern final in 1996. The, the, the Argos went on to win the Grey Cup that year with Doug Flutie. The Grey Cup game was played in Hamilton. They won it that year. But the Eastern final, I did the play-by-play. I didn't do the Grey Cup game because my boss called me to say, um, TSN Radio is doing that. Mm. It's going to be John Wells and Leif Pedersen. Uh, no local radio. I wasn't made aware of that until the last minute. I thought I'd be doing the Grey Cup game on radio, right. which was another one of my you know, fantasies as a kid. Sure. You know, Hi, everybody. Mark Kipscher here with Don Whitman, Anis Stukas, Johnny Isa, Argos, the Edmonton Eskimos in the Great Cup. Because they were my team. Anyway, closest I got was the Eastern Final of 1996. Here's me and Wally oh, Zatilny. Can I play the ID first? I got yeah, an, okay, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. here's an ID, and then we'll I'll, I'll right. roll right into the play-by-play. Here we go. Do it. This is Roy Green. On TalkLine, we confront the people who make the news and deal with the issues. Join us on TalkLine, weekdays, 9 till noon, on Talk 640. Mark Hebsher. Wally Zatilny. Talk 640, the voice of the Toronto Argonauts. 
Terry Baker, the former Argonaut, uh, places the ball on the tee at the 35-yard line and deep for the Argonauts. Jimmy the Jet Cunningham, who led the CFL with 2,638 all-purpose yards. But the best kickoff returner is the guy next to him, Mike Pinball Clemens. Jimmy's a better punt returner. Pinball's the better kickoff return man. And the stats certainly bear that out as Clemens averaged 26.8 yards of return this year, a long of 72. Here's Baker. We're underway in the Eastern Final at Skydome, and it's Clemens at the 19-yard line of the 20. 25-30, 35 down the left sideline. One man to beat Terry Baker. To the 50, to the 40, to the 30, to the 20, to the 10. It's a touchdown for the Argonauts. <laughs> no flags. And this crowd has erupted on the first play of the game. Michael Pinball Clemens running it back for a touchdown of 91 yards. Like I said, Wally, he's the better <laughs> kickoff return man of the two. Well, when you've got Pinball Clemens and Jimmy the Jet, who do you kick it to? They knew they were going to kick it to the right side of the field, so they had your top man, Pinball Clemens, to that side. He caught the ball, wasn't it? Wow, I got goosebumps, buddy. That was great. Right, so here's, now here's the background of the story. Yeah. So before the game or that week of practice, I saw Pinball and Jimmy. And I remember saying, well, which one of you guys? Because I think Jimmy had had a couple or three maybe that year returns for touchdown. I remember saying, which one of you guys is going to return a kick for the touchdown? You know, who, who's going to be the first guy? And Pinball says to me, he says, man, if I get the opening kick, I'm going all the way. I'll never forget it. Now, I didn't say it ahead of time because that would have been just too weird. Sure. To say, and by the way, Pinball predicted that he would take it back. I didn't, not even afterwards, because that was just, but I remember because Jimmy was like, ah, if I get it, man, I'm going, okay. And, and in that game, Cunningham had a phenomenal punt return that was called back. I don't recall if it was for a touchdown or not, but he, he had a phenomenal punt return. And they called it back for a clip or something like that. And after the game, it was like, man, I almost had one myself. It was very exciting. It, it sounded amazing, and um, first play Eastern final, like wow! And you, you, your call was excellent. Like that was a fantastic call. That's just natural. That's the way I saw it, baby. Ooh. All right, let's move along. It's been nearly a quarter century since Serena Williams, Roger Federer, and Rafael Nadal all sat out the same Grand Slam tennis tournament, and that changes this week. The U.S. Open will start at Flushing Meadows without any member of that distinguished trio aboard. Serena, whose fortieth birthday is next month. Withdrew on Wednesday, joining Federer, who turned 40 this month, and Nadal, who is 35, on the sidelines because of injuries, and Venus Williams, who's 41, also pulled out on Wednesday. So Serena is your last kind of big name that's really got a great chance at setting a record. But right. since returning from maternity leave in 2018, he's reached four Grand Slam finals and gone 0-4. Her 2017 Australian Open title while pregnant at age 35 makes her the oldest woman to win a major singles championship in the Open era. Federer, the first man to reach 20 slam trophies, is done for the year. He needs a third operation on his right knee that was twice repaired last year. Nadal, who matched his rival's total by getting his 20th major at the French Open last year, also done for the year, troubled by recurring left foot pain. Mike, I'm thinking maybe the U.S. Open shouldn't be this late in the season. Maybe they should change things around like they did with the uh, uh, major golf tournaments where they moved the PGA up, where, I don't know, the Kentucky Derby one year was later, the Queens play. There's something about coming to the last major and, like, there's nobody around, man. They're all yeah. hurt. 
Right. All the big names. Interesting. And so the U.S. Open is suffering this year uh, because of all the big names just not being a just not being healthy anymore. And and even watching Federer last time out, it was not embarrassing, but getting there, like mm, I don't want to remember Roger Federer as that slow forty-year-old with bad knees that just you're 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 hoping that he doesn't embarrass himself. He's not going to win another major championship. But at the same time, wouldn't it be great if at that advanced age, he reached the final, like the year Jimmy Connors made it to, I forget. Was it the final semifinal? And he's yelling at the chair umpire. I'm 39 years old. I'm 39 years old. And you're treating me this way. Like that kind of thing. Where is it? Yeah, Jimmy. Yeah. I even been the quarter. I don't know, but it was I don't like think it was a final. Sure. And no, people no. were just, uh, don't leave us, Jimmy. Don't leave us, Roger. Don't leave us, Serena. <laughs> this is the problem with your heroes, that at some point they, they have to go. A quick note on Serena. is yeah. This is kind of mind-blowing to me. I was watching a, a Simpsons episode from, I think, 1999, so late 90s, mm-hmm. and Serena and her sister had a cameo in this episode. Homer put That's a right. tennis court. So just stop for a moment and realize that Serena Williams cameoed in a 1990s episode of the Simpsons and she has, she's still playing. That's an unbelievably long career. Remarkable. Yeah. When you think of how young the Williams sisters were, I believe 18 and 16 or 17 and 15 when they first broke onto the scene with those, you know, things in her, in their hair. Remember they had those uh, beads, right? Yes. yes. On one match, they fell out or some bunch of them fell out during them while the match was going on. But the sound that they made that clicking sound, (laughs) that's so long ago. You're right. Um, Tennis Canada tells us that uh, lots of Canucks involved. A men's singles draw, you got uh, Vasek Pospisil in his first round match is going to play Fabio Fognini, the Italian. Um, If he gets past him, he's going to get Berrettini in the third round. Shapovalov, Denny, is the seventh seed. He gets Delbonis in the second round. I think he's got a first round by Carreño Busta in the fourth round. Zverev in the quarterfinals if he gets that far. And Felix Auger-Aliassime is the number 12 seed. He gets a qualifier in the first round. And then uh, Nick uh, Kyrgios in the third round. That would be great, eh? And uh, Andre Rublev in the fourth round. They always give you that. They give you the projected who he may run up against because of the draw. I like that. Bianca Andreescu is the number six seed on the distaff side. She gets uh, Golubich in her opening match. She, If she lasts to the fourth round, she gets Petra Kvitova. If she gets as far as the quarterfinal... It's Pliskova, and if she gets to uh, the finals, she gets uh, Ash Barty in the semifinals, the number one seed. And um, Leila Annie Fernandez, the Canadian, gets a qualifier in the opening round and uh, gets Punitskitsetsva or Kinyepi in the second round. <laughs> and then Naomi Osaka, if she lasts that far in the third round. That I'd like to see. I think she's 17 or 18 years old. Leila Annie Fernandez against Naomi Osaka. That'd be cool. For sure. All right. In golf, round two of the BMW Championship goes today with the top 30 of the FedEx Cup list qualifying for the season-ending tour championship next week. Five million to the winner. 500 million to the winner? Lots of money. <laughs> Rory McElroy, John Rahm, and Sam Burns fired eight under 64s for the first round lead at this course that's in Maryland. Uh, the head pro there used to be the quarterback for Duke University's football team. Can't remember his name now. 
Anyway, no one ever his talks about football. He no was one an ever, yeah. Offers him. I was gonna say nobody ever talks about Duke's uh, football team. You know what I'm saying? No, they don't. <laughs> Sergio Garcia one shot back. Canadian Mackenzie Hughes shot a three under sixty nine. He's tied for 29th. Corey Connors shot seventy and is tied for forty third. Lots of golf still left to be played for them and for me and you, because it's been a really good year for golf, with the exception of those five weeks that uh, the Ford government shut down golf courses. <laughs> you want to get into it? it means it's going to be a, a long. Um, fall, long autumn. I believe the original expression was Indian summer, which was not meant as a slight, was meant more as a, um, for some reason, I guess the sun would shine longer and warmer um, on the reservation. So is it indigenous Uh, summer The idea being is that you could be outdoors longer and be more comfortable. Um, and so and and so Indian summer. Well, see, the obvious problem is that they're they're not actually Indians because uh, they're not from India. But the the no. I was wondering, is it even Native. appropriate to use uh, Indigenous summer? Uh, maybe we have to scrap. Yeah, no, the whole but thing. anyway, you get the drift. It, again, sure. no malice intended. So please sure. take it for what it's worth. But that's the way for many years it was called. Was it right? No. Looking at it now, was it common? Absolutely, and no one ever thought about it. Right. And even I think even Native Americans may have called it Indian summer because everyone else did. I'm not sure. And we won't know if they were offended by that. So um, what was I going to say? It's going to be a beautiful fall, beautiful autumn. And that means lots more golf to be played at Crosswinds. I'll be there on Sunday. I was there last week. Try to get in at least one round a week at Crosswinds. It's just absolutely stunning. The views are beautiful. And before you know it, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself the leaves will be changing color because it's almost September and you're going to get a feel for that beautiful weather where it's not going to be a thousand degrees, like a blast furnace. You're actually going to get the seasons. You know, I always think of people who live in places like Texas and Arizona and California, Southern California, they never get to experience Florida, never get to experience the change of the seasons, which really is a wonderful thing. Ebsy, I love the photos you take from Crosswinds. Uh, I follow you on the socials. Uh, but I also noticed that you you play often with a, a beautiful woman. Uh, so congratulations. Yes, you'll meet her tonight. Wow. Okay, that's a big She's deal. She's my ride. Nice. Always bring a designated <laughs> driver to these uh, brewery that's right. events. That's right. How can I enjoy Great Lakes uh, uh, Brewery products, uh, you know, and the uh, fantastic company and a wonderful event? Unless I have a designated. I'm excited now. Now I'm nervous. Uh, I'm nervous to meet this. She's nervous too. So now she's nervous in meeting you because she listens to you all the time. Amazing. All right. So uh, yeah, crosswindsgolf.com. Make sure you tell them Hebsy sent you. Have a great time. It's a fabulous course and uh, definitely worth the trip. The NHL will have advertising on the front of their team jerseys for the first time starting in the 2022-23 season. Not this coming season, next season. The league's Board of Governors formally voted this month to approve jersey advertisements. The NHL had surveyed its teams and found the majority of them in favor of jersey ads because they're in favor of making more money. Right. Got it? Right. The ads will be featured in a three by three and a half inch rectangle, which is larger than the NBA's two and a half by two and a half inch space because the NBA has those little, you know, cute little undershirt type of things. And the NHL's got those big, long sleeve, bulky jerseys. So, of course, the rectangle is going to be bigger. The NHL did allow helmet advertising for the 2021 season. And Gary Bettman, the commissioner, indicated that teams would continue with that program. And he said, when asked, 
that teams retained more than $100 million in revenue thanks to innovations like the helmet ads. So if that's worth another $100 million, imagine if they said, you know what? Let's not fuck around with just a helmet and maybe one patch on the corner. Let's look at the big picture. Let's look at soccer, for example. In soccer, there's at least three revenue streams from uniform advertising. At least three. At least three. If you wanted to put them on the socks and the cleats, you could do that too. Who knows? For example, Manchester United makes $103 million from Adidas. That's their kit supplier. Okay, the jerseys and the pants and the whole deal. They get another $65 million from Team Viewer, which is a jersey sponsor. And $27 million from Kohler, which is the sleeve sponsor. So there's a jersey sponsor, a sleeve sponsor, and a kit supplier. But in soccer, they don't wear hats or helmets. Darn it. Maybe they should start. Maybe you're going to see soccer players running around with beanies or hats on with a sponsor logo. No, More shave money. it in your head. Hebsey, you can shave, that way, shave a logo in your head. Right. That way, Manchester City will be able to afford Cristiano Ronaldo, right. who they're negotiating with right now. Right. Because the money is staggering. Right. So, so here's what Man U gets annually. Just from jersey sponsorship, $195 million. That's going up. So let's just say the pot, $200 million a year. You know what kind of players that buys you? Oh, that's right, Cristiano Ronaldo. So why would NHL teams not want to do this? Why wouldn't they want to say, I got it? We got the pants sponsor. We got the helmet sponsor. We got the shoulder patch sponsor. We got the stick sponsor. We got the visor sponsor. Because don't tell me that you couldn't put a little sticker in the upper corner of the visor. It will have nothing to do with the, with the player's peripheral and sell that too. You can't and do why it. just one helmet sponsor? Why not the front <laughs> of the helmet sponsor or the back of the helmet sponsor? You know front the answer. Front of the jersey, back of the jersey. If, if Nike swoosh is on every single hockey jersey, at least once, like maybe on the, is it on the back collar there, right at the back on the base of the neck? And I think the front so. Too? I don't know. But you could easily put three or four on every hockey player and nobody's going to notice the difference because there's lots of uniform. Like, and think of all the close-ups. There's his pants. Now, you used to see the little CCM logo on the pants and the little CCM logo on the helmet. I don't know what they were paying for that. I'm, I'm sure it was a pretty penny. But we're way past that now. I'm like way past. Okay. Just slather ads. Just like those. Remember the first time you saw those European hockey teams yeah. at the, at the Spengler cup. Right. Go, da- Whoa, Davos. What the hell is that? <laughs> right. Hebsey, we both okay. know that's coming, but they can't do it all at once. Right. So they, they bring it in baby steps and then next thing you know what it's like that, but they can't just say it's like that tomorrow or next season or whatever. Right. They have to kind of sprinkle it in slowly. But- you know that you could look forward and say, we're going to earn this much revenue five years from now because we're going to have these revenue streams. And if, and if they come back to full capacity at rinks, they're going to get all that plus. Think about that. The only reason they started thinking about this seriously was because they couldn't put butts in the seats, sell concessions, couldn't do it. So all that lost revenue there, they had to, find a way to regain it or at least find the. Now that they've got these streams, the taps are wide open, baby. Yep. Think about this. Have you noticed the umpires in baseball this year? They're black uniforms. Have you noticed the logo, an unfamiliar logo on every single umpire? One you've never seen before, unless you're into cryptocurrency. Have you noticed that, Mike? No. Okay, check out the umpires. And the umpires are on camera a lot. Sure. Interesting. It's a uh, digital currency company. Wow. Wow. 
A lot of money, my friend. Never let a good catastrophe go to waste. There you go. Canada beat the USA 5-1 at the Women's World Hockey Championships in Calgary. A huge win for Canada considering the U.S. has won eight of the last nine world championships. But, folks, it's only the group stage. It doesn't mean shit. Okay, it's not for a medal, so I can't get up for it. And there's no fans in the stands. I can't get up for it. I love Canada, and I hate the United States. Only, only when they're playing Canada. Did you watch? I hate the United States. Did you watch last night? No. Because, again, I'm not up for it. But if it's for a medal, I'm there. Okay. Uh, I wish I could get up for the round robin games, but I can't because I know it's going to be Canada, U.S. There's no other country that comes close when it comes to women's hockey. No crowds, no atmosphere. Hopefully there will be. There won't be crowds, but hopefully there'll be, and I don't know how, some atmosphere for the gold medal game when these two go. Hopefully. Andre DeGrasse, the world's fastest man, ran a wind-aided 9.74 at the Prefontaine Classic in Oregon last weekend against the best in the world. 9.74 is the fastest 100 meters ever run by a Canadian, ever. Even though the time will be adjusted because of the wind. And I don't know the kind of calculations they take into consideration for this to make it an official, you know, plus, and it was a considerable wind. It was like a plus 2.9. Right. But even if they change, even if it's a 9.8, it's still going to be the fastest ever by a Canadian. And it's great to see Andre DeGrasse blowing past the best in the world and proving that he's indeed worthy of being called the world's fastest human. He is. It was a fantastic race. And he came from like sixth to win it. He's good. Yes. And remember, folks, the next Olympics are in 2024 in Paris. Less than three years. Less than three years from now. ESPN has dumped Rachel Nichols from their NBA coverage, all their NBA coverage, and canceled her show, The Jump, and made it clear that they have no idea how to handle situations that involve racism, sexism, ageism, and generally are completely out of touch when it comes to sensitive issues. Sound like any other company? like almost every company nowadays. Nichols said some things about Maria Taylor, one of her coworkers who happens to be black, that were captured from a server that recorded a phone conversation that Nichols thought was a private conversation while she was in her hotel room, which was Disney-owned um, hotel in the Orlando bubble last year. ESPN is owned by Disney. Right. Mike, there's an expectation of privacy in situations like that, I do believe. And I'm not condoning what Nichols said. She should be reprimanded. But I'm concerned that her privacy was violated. Because in order to record or eavesdrop on a phone conversation, both parties must be made aware that they are being recorded in the states of Connecticut, where ESPN's located, and Florida, where the Disney-owned um, hotel was, where the NBA bubble was. So if Rachel Nichols wanted to, uh, and I'm no lawyer, I do believe that she could have a uh, very strong lawsuit launched against Disney, the same company that is fighting a lawsuit by the famous actress Scarlett Johansson has a similar lawsuit against Disney. It has to do with expectation of privacy, I do believe. Anyway. So ESPN, just a train wreck. And apparently the, the attitude, the, the morale there is just horrible. Waiting for the other shoe to drop. Anyway, final thing. 
We talked about it last week. It's sort of confirmed because let's face it, when the, when the national media, when the U S media gets a hold of a story and, and comments on it, 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 it offers validity. You and I were talking about Joey Votto and whether he should be in the hall of fame. We both agreed that, man, this guy's got some fantastic numbers and he is hall of fame worthy. But until they started really talking about it seriously in the States, the national baseball, we were like, Oh, maybe we're the only ones, but now it's been validated. Joey Votto this week from Etobicoke, Ontario, Richview collegiate blue Jay fan growing up the biggest you can imagine as a kid. Um, he became the 286th player in Major League Baseball history to amass 8,000 plate appearances. Of those 286 players, he is one of just 17 with a career slash line of 300, 400, 500. Wow. That's batting average of 300. He hit, he's hitting 303, lifetime. A uh, on-base percentage of 400. He's got a, a 417 on-base percentage, which is sick. And a slugging percentage of over 500. He's got a 520. So all those things, getting on base, hitting for average, hitting for power, that's a 937 lifetime OPS. Those are Hall of Fame numbers. Since he debuted in 2007, only two players have more wins above replacement. War, Mike Trout and Robinson Cano. His 417 on-base percentage is the 25th best mark ever. He's one of six players to lead the league in on-base percentage at least seven times joining Ted Williams, Babe Ruth, Barry Bonds, Rogers Hornsby, and Ty fucking Cobb. Wow. After two down years where most of us thought, that's it for Joey, he's not going to come back, uh, and pretty much threatened his Hall of Fame candidacy, he has dominated this year with a 952 OPS. Since the break, Joey Votto leads all of baseball with 17 home runs and 41 RBI and has the Reds contending for a wild card spot. The bottom line, entering this season, you had Albert Pujols, guaranteed Hall of Famer. Miguel Cabrera, guaranteed Hall of Famer. Mike Trout, guaranteed Hall of Famer. And Yadier Molina caught more games than anybody in the history of baseball. Multiple World Series winner, guaranteed Hall of Famer. I think we can now add Joey Votto to that list. Wow. So And he's so much fun to watch. And again, I'll say it again. He could have his own show, man. Anyway. That's it for episode 247 of Hebsey on Sports. Thanks so much, as always, to Toronto Mike for production and inspiration. Hit him up at Toronto Mike. And his big uh, TMLX 8 goes tonight, 6 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Great Lakes Brewery on uh, Queen Elizabeth Drive in the uh, Evans Avenue, Queensway area. Is that about right? Evans Avenue and Queensway? Yeah, like Royal York, between Royal Evans York and Road. Queensway off Royal York. You'll find it. Down the street from the Costco. I'll be there. Mike will be there. Who else is going to be there tonight? Uh, Humble Howard Glassman's going to be there. Humble Howard's going to be there tonight. Peter Gross. Woo. Lauren Honickman. Nice. A whole, whole bunch of interesting cats. And, of course, all FOTMs who have been with us every week of this Pandemic Friday experience. And uh, can't wait to see everybody. Excellent. Um, so there you go. Thanks as well to our outstanding sponsor, Crosswinds Golf and Country Club. Go to crosswindsgolf.com. And book your tea time online. And don't forget to tell them Hebsey sent you. You'll have a great time there. And as well, shout out to Manscaped.com for the finest below-the-waist grooming products in the world. Mike uses them. I use them. We love them. Our balls. We love them. Use the promo code Hebsey at checkout and receive 20% off your order and free shipping. Such a deal. Thanks for allowing us into your headspace. Back with another episode next week. Until then, so long for now.
This podcast has been produced by TMDS and accelerated by Rome Phone. Rome Phone brings you the most reliable virtual phone service to run your business and protect your home number from unwanted calls. Visit romephone.ca to get started.